Today we are on week 10 in the book of Colossians. Thrive in Colossians. And what that means is, is that next Sunday morning is our very last week in the book of Colossians. We will finish the book. And uh, I've enjoyed very much teaching through the book of Colossians. So if you want to take uh, your, there's an outline of your program if you'd like to follow along. And uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. So uh, I invite you to turn there. It's going to be on page 818 or 1185 if you've grabbed one of the uh, Bibles in the lobby. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And the Apostle Paul writes these words. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Christian author Kerry Oberrunner tells the story of an encounter he had with a man named Bob. Uh, he tells this story in New Man Magazine in 2009, the April edition. And the article's entitled, What About Bob? How That Question Changed My Life. Carrie met Bob at a YMCA in the exercise room. Carrie was focused on a serious exercise routine. Bob was an older man, and uh, he was frustrated with uh, new technology that he apparently didn't know uh, how to use. Carrie watched this for quite a while. He first tried to ignore it. And finally, uh, having sympathy for Bob, he introduced himself and offered to help. Bob was glad for the offer and said, I can't get this dumb thing to work. Carrie asked if Bob had ever heard of iTunes. And Bob said, I what? It slowly dawned on Carrie that God had placed Bob in his path for a reason. So they set a date for Bob and Carrie to get together and uh, to figure out the MP3 player. Here's what Carrie writes. He says, against his initial wishes, I visited him at his apartment, at Bob's apartment. Turns out his wife had died a couple of years before. And all his earthly possessions were crammed into a small apartment. She had been their main breadwinner. So the bank repossessed his house when he was unable to make his payments. Bob and I made a makeshift space in his back room near his computer. One at a time, I imported his jazz CD collection onto his hard drive, intending to transfer the MP3s eventually to his player. While importing his music, Bob and I talked about life, his wife, and God. The weeks following, I checked in on Bob often. Kind of funny how two guys who are two complete opposites can become best friends all because of a MP3 player. Bob is 71. I am 32, not me. <laughs> Bob is black. I am white. Bob doesn't have much money. I have more than I need. Bob is an ex-convict. I've never been to jail. Bob is a widower. I am married. In short, we're opposites. A short time later, I invited Bob to church, deeply desiring for him to meet Jesus. After a few invitations, he eventually accepted and sat with my wife and, and me last spring. 
If he felt awkward sitting in our mostly white church, he didn't let on. It was after attending Carrie's church that Bob understood and placed his faith in Jesus Christ and shortly after uh, was baptized. And um, their friendship continues to this day. Carrie writes this, I'm saddened by the reality that I almost miss Bob simply because I was engrossed in my own little world. Have you ever had God bring someone across your path, sort of in an unexpected way, and he gave you an opportunity, and the desire of his heart was for you to build a relationship and show them who Jesus Christ is? In Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, the Apostle Paul instructs us to, to pray for such opportunities like this. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Uh, the first thing in your outline, uh, the Apostle Paul brings to our attention, be devoted to prayer for the gospel of Christ. Be devoted to prayer for the gospel of, of Christ. First in verse 2, devotion to prayer is essential for every Christ follower. This is an essential part of the Christian life. If you are to thrive spiritually, and that's what the book of Colossians is about, if you are to grow, if you are become who God has intended you to be, if you are to become more Christ-like, you will grow in your prayer life, and you will be devoted to prayer. Uh, to be devoted is to be diligent in prayer. It's to, it's to keep on keeping on with prayer, because, you know, it's easy to have a habit when we need it. When we have a need, when we need God, we, we tend to pray more. But what about having a discipline of prayer so that we're praying for God when, it needs, when we aren't in a crisis, when it's a part of our life? And uh, one writer has said that prayer for our spiritual life is just like breathing for our physical life. It's essential in our relationship with God. It was also the practice of the early church. Devotion to prayer was the practice of the early church. And a key passage is Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Let me uh, remind you of the context here. Jesus has just ascended into heaven after act, in Acts 1. He's already died, he's already resurrected, resurrected, and he's ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and he's left the poor disciples all alone. He told them this is the way it was going to be. And uh, so he told them to go, to go back to Jerusalem, and to hang together, and that's what they did. Verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They were devoted to prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. There was a group of disciples, and we see in Acts chapter 1, there's about 120 of them, and they got together, and they prayed. And they prayed, and they prayed. Another example, uh, just following this, is Acts chapter 2. Shortly after this, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Okay, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus had just ascended into heaven. Now the disciples have gotten together and prayed. And uh, Acts chapter 2 takes place. This is the beginning of the church. Peter's gotten up and preached a sermon. About 3,000 people get saved on the very first day. By the way, that's a large group evangelism experience. 3,000. Verse 42, they devoted themselves. This is what the early church did. Right after they, got, they came to faith in Christ, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They didn't have Bibles yet. The New Testament wasn't written yet. 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is basically the core of our New Testament. It just wasn't written down yet. To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, that was their community, that was their relationship with one another. To the breaking of bread, that was worship, that was uh, sharing in communion, and to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. There was a lot of miracles taking place then. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Next slide. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Uh, they were very generous, extremely generous. There was, there was this uh, great movement of God, and people were very humbled at the presence of God and very humbled in the church. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, large groups. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, small groups in homes, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. First day, 3,000 come to faith in Christ. They devote themselves to prayer. They devote themselves to the early practices of the Christian church, and God just kept adding to their number. Uh, People were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Acts uh, chapter 4, verses 24 through 31. This was a practice of the early church, devotion to prayer. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Peter and uh, John had just gotten out of prison. They'd been thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. And they wouldn't give up because God's priorities were more important than man's priorities. And so they, they raised up their voices to God in prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said. This is the group. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouth of David, your, your servant, uh, our, our father, David. Through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Now, one of the things you can do is when you, when you study the prayers of the Bible, you can learn something about prayer. And so, as they pray, they're uh, reminded of truth that they know about God. Um, that God is the creator, that he made everything. And if my God can make everything, he's pretty powerful. He's pretty big. He's reminding, they're reminding God of that as they, they, they speak. And now they're going to go to Psalm 2, and now they're going to refer to Scripture. Next slide. This is Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. By the way, who's the anointed one? It's Jesus. And Peter and John were thrown in prison because they were talking about Jesus. And now the religious leaders of Israel, the Jewish religious leaders, don't want Messiah, don't want Jesus to be talked about, so they threw Peter and John in jail. So they're, they're referring to the present circumstances now. They've referred to who God is. They've referred to uh, Scripture. And now they're referring to their current need. Next slide. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, that's Jerusalem, to spire against your holy servant Jesus. They're just stating the facts. This is what happened. And they're reminding God, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand that should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Next slide. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So they're in a crisis. Christianity is not very popular in Jerusalem. And what do they want to pray for? God, take these bad people away. God, what about us? God, what am I going to do about my finances? God, what about my whatever physical issues? And their prayer is for boldness to speak the truth. And um, we've got another. Let's go on. Uh, it, was, it was also the instruction of Jesus. Let's go on to this next passage, the instruction of Jesus. Devotion to prayer, Matthew 7. Matthew 6, thank you. And when you pray... By the way, Jesus assumed you would pray. This is just what a Christ follower does. This is a spiritual activity. It's a spiritual relationship with God, and it requires communication. Jesus assumed we would pray. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they uh, love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Next slide. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And Jesus is talking about humility, and he's saying prayer is not about impressing others. It's not about being up front and being public or standing on the street corners just so you look good, because that was really important in first century Israel. But it's about humility. It's about private prayer and uh, it's not about it drawing attention to yourself. But Jesus assumed that you would pray. Now, this is right before what? His teaching on the Lord's Prayer. What's the teaching on the Lord's Prayer? God's um, request first, my request second. God's priorities first, my priority second. God's kingdom first, my kingdom second. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, may your name be holy. Um, can't remember how to say it without going through the whole thing. It's about, it's about Jesus' kingdom coming. It's about obeying um, the Father just as he's obeyed in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. God's request first, then my request. My daily bread, forgiveness, my relationship with others. And uh, so this was the instruction of Jesus. And then Luke 18.1 then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that you should always pray and not give up. This is the, then he tells the parable of the unjust judge. Woman comes to the judge, an injustice has been done her, and so she just nags the judge to death. I want justice, help me, fix it now, do, make it right. And he nags her, and he nags her, and he nags her, and he nags her. Excuse me, she nags him, she nags him. I was just seeing if you're listening. And... Um, the, point, the whole point is to remind us to keep praying. Keep on. Keep on. We should always pray and not give up. That's devotion to prayer. Also, uh, devotion to prayer includes what, a watchful perspective and a thankful attitude. A devotion to prayer includes a watchful perspective. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's what verse 2 says. To be watchful, it means to stay awake, 
spiritually. It means to be on the alert. Um, it means to be on the lookout to see what God is doing. Oftentimes, you know, I've done this a lot where I just pray, got, my, got what I wanted off to God, and then I'm off doing something else. And I'm not spiritually in tune. I'm not on the lookout. I'm not seeing where God is answering. Uh, Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, pick this up. Another teaching of Jesus. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So he says, you need something? Ask for it. Ask for it. Then consider getting involved in the answer. If you need a job, you want to just pray and ask God and sit back and wait for him to bring a job to your door. No, you pray, ask him for a job, and then you get out there and look. If you need to get your resume out, you need to network, you do whatever you can so that you will be tuned in to God if he brings you the right opportunity. Um, if you have a health issue, do you want to just pray and ask God to heal you? Or do you want to pray and go to the doctor? And the seeking, it be, looking out for the answer, I want as much information and as much knowledge and as much wisdom as I can get and allowing God to lead me to an answer. The seeking and knocking. Okay. And then being thankful. Uh, the nature of prayer requires an attitude of gratitude. We've seen this several times, maybe four or five times already in the book, book of Colossians. A thankful attitude, a thankful heart. A heart that understands God's provision on a daily basis. How many things has God provided for you already today? What are you thankful for? Um, a thankful heart. Uh, uh, um, well, a few weeks back, you remember this? I just suggested an assignment for, for you that it, over the next 21 days, can you think of five things that you're thankful for for each day? 21 days is long enough for a habit. Anybody here do that? Okay. Somebody did. <laughs> Are you more thankful than you were? Uh, this is an, an essential part of prayer, this attitude of thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul says, Pray continually. That's devotion to prayer. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not all circumstances are fun. Not all circumstances feel good. Not all circumstances seem like a blessing or something really good is happening. But our response is to be thankful to God. What can I be thankful for? Because it, it affects my whole outlook on the world and my problems when I practice thanksgiving. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Want to know God's will? It's to be thankful. Philippians 4, verse 6, another one. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation. By prayer and petition, there it is, quick little phrase, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Want to know something about prayer? God desires that we be thankful people when we come to him. Just like if my kids make a request to me, I really appreciate it when they're thankful for what they have gotten in the past. 
If they are appreciative, it's really easy to say yes uh, when my kids need something. Next, uh, in verse 3, prayer opens doors or opportunities for the gospel. This is kind of the whole point of the passage that Paul gives us today. Prayer opens doors for the gospel. Verse 3, and pray for us too that God may open open the door of our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. So this is the Apostle Paul. Let me just remind you, where is Paul? Paul is in Rome. What's he doing in Rome? Paul is in prison. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier. He was there for two years. The practice would have been every day, he would be trained to a Roman soldier for 12 hours. After the 12-hour shift, the next Roman soldier came. Paul was chained to him. We know from the book of Philippians that Paul apparently had impact during those two years because they knew about Christ throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, 6,000 private troops of Caesar. And Paul had interacted with a lot. Probably some of those people took the gospel back to the barracks, and other soldiers came to faith in Christ while Paul was in chains. Paul, um, he doesn't say, uh, well, get me out of here. Give me, pray that they'll release me from prison so I can go home. He doesn't, he doesn't ask for that. He prays uh, for an open door for our message, for other people with Paul in Rome. And what he's looking for, he already sees opportunity in Rome. He's looking for more opportunities to share the gospel. This is about having God's priority for the kingdom first and his own priority second. It's okay to pray for your needs. The sad thing is, I do this too. The sad thing is, it's just so easy to focus your prayer life on what you need and what you want. And it's almost like God's kingdom is an afterthought. And I want to encourage you to push this to the forefront. God's priorities first. I really think he's going to take care of your priorities. I have no problem, I, no doubt he's going to take care of your needs. No doubt. But he's engaged us to pray for his priorities. Uh, and he says, pray for open doors for the gospel. And he, he calls this so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ, the gospel. Um, What is the gospel? What is the gospel? And uh, if you've been around me very long, you've heard this passage two or three hundred times, 1 Corinthians 15. This is the gospel. Be careful with it. Be careful with it. Don't confuse people. Now, brothers and sisters, to the church at Corinth, I want to remind you of the gospel. It's not a gospel. It's not another way to say it. It is the gospel. The gospel I preached to you, which you received. They received it by faith. They understood it. They received it by faith, by which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Next slide. And here it is. For what I received, Paul got the gospel from Jesus on the road to Damascus. First hand. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. How important is this? First importance. Is there any other higher priority? Nope. 
first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. That's it. That's the gospel. Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He was raised again. He's alive. He's not dead. He's alive right now. Now, that's the core truth of our message. People need to know a little bit more around that to understand. That Christ died for our sins means they need to understand that I'm a sinner. And that I'm separated from God. Those are assumptions about the gospel. And the gospel is God's solution for me. That Christ died for me. He took my place and he paid for my sins. Now that's done. God's wrath, God's justice is satisfied with Christ's death. Now we have an opportunity to respond. And that's to respond by faith. That's what John 3.16 is about. For by, and then Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's about believing in Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for you. The gospel. Now, we Christians say a lot of things. And if we can explain those things and make the gospel clear, it's okay. But oftentimes we just leave people with Christianese phrases that don't really make sense if you're a non-Christian. When I was as an adult and a non-Christian, and people gave me all kinds of information and just kind of left me hanging. You, some of the, I'm going to step on a few toes here, but that's okay. Let's just keep the gospel clear. For example, people would say, all you need to do, Jerry, is invite Jesus into your heart. What is that? Tell a, tell a 25-year-old male he needs Jesus in his heart. What's that about? I don't even talk about my heart. I don't get it. You need to commit your life to Christ. What does that mean? Um, you need to receive Jesus. Well, you know, there's a lot of truth around these things, but what do they mean? There's a transaction that needs to take place. I need to place my faith in Jesus Christ, who was alive and well, and he died on the cross for me. And there is no salvation apart from understanding what Jesus has done for me. So, um, to me, that's kind of an important item, clarity. And Paul had asked for prayer for clarity, to pray for the clarity of the gospel of Christ. Uh, which is verse 4. Let's look at that. Pray for clarity of the gospel of Christ. And he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul was a pretty good communicator. He was a pretty good author. He was able to state theological arguments line upon line upon line. But when it came to communicating the gospel, he realized this is a spiritual activity, requires spiritual interaction and uh, operating uh, in the spiritual world with God and communicating with God and asking for his help and showing dependence on God through prayer. And this whole gospel thing is so easily misunderstood and confused in the minds of people who don't know Jesus. And we take so many things for granted, and we need to take the time to help people understand truth. Um, one of my favorite little pet peeves is Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Paul had a really firm opinion about this. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Problem here in the book of Galatians was there were a group of people who were saying, to become a Christian, you need to believe in Jesus and be circumcised and everything's going to be good. Little problem there. That's not the gospel. 
but it became a message of some people in the first century. And Paul says, which is really no gospel at all. That's not good news. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Next slide. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, let them be under God's curse. Paul has pretty strong feelings about the clarity of the gospel. As we've already said, so now I say again, I like to repeat myself, Paul says, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And so, just speak, explain the gospel. Be careful about your words, and, and if you need to clarify, make sure people understand when you communicate this message. So devote yourselves to prayer for the sake of the gospel. Uh, let me just suggest some opportunities for prayer at the bridge. Um, every Tuesday morning at 6.30, there's a men's prayer group. So guys, if you want to join us in prayer, every week we go through all the requests that people turn into the bridge. And we pray for a lot of different other things. But that's a men's group, 6.30, every Tuesday morning. It's at the bridge offices. Uh, you can also be included on an email for a list of all the requests prayer requests of the bridge. Don't take the email unless you really want to pray through them. Don't take it just so you can get up on the latest news. If you want to pray, uh, ask. And anytime you can just put on your, your uh, communication card that you want to be on the prayer list. Um, this fall, we're going to have probably two growth, at least one growth group or maybe two growth groups on prayer. And details will be coming on that. So devote yourselves to prayer for the sake of the gospel. Secondly, verses 5 and 6, live your life for the sake of the gospel. Live your life for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Paul says in verse 5, be wise in your daily interactions with non-believers. Be wise in the way you relate with non-believers. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, meaning those outside of the Christian faith, those people who haven't understood the gospel of those people who have not yet become followers of Christ. Be wise in the way. Make the most of every opportunity. Uh, To be wise is to demonstrate wisdom. I like to say that wisdom is the art of skillful living. Live your lives skillfully as you walk with Christ in your workplace, in the marketplace, uh, in your classroom, in your neighborhood. Um, make the most of every opportunity you have to share, to give a, to, to give a witness, that is to speak. And um, when I learned to share the gospel, I, I kind of learned it to be over the top. I've learned a lot over the years, but when I learned to share the gospel, my take was I would go to work in the factory every night. I would take five spiritual law booklets with me I don't know why I pick five. I just take five. And my goal was to share them every night and not come home with any left. But my goal was not to hand them to somebody. My goal was to sit down and read it and through, all the way through to the prayer. Now, I was a little over the top in those early years. But there's a place of knowing how much do I speak, uh, a sense of timing, 
When is the right time? Do, do I share part of my story? Maybe it's the marriage struggles that I've been through. If, it, if it's with guys, maybe it's my struggle with pornography that I connect with. Um, maybe it's about raising kids. There's a way to connect with people and share your story. Sometimes people want to know about your story. Sometimes they ask, what is it? We've had people ask us, well, what, about, what is it about your marriage? Or how do you, how do you raise your kids? Or how did you, an atheist, become a follower of Christ? Well, that's an opportunity to talk. And you can kind of take it as far as possible, but you want to kind of do it with permission, with, with grace. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. I'd like to say uh, a term that I like, and when I mention this, it's kind of one of those things that's controversial, but I like the word seeker-sensitive, seeker-friendly. Seekers are people who have not yet placed their faith in Christ. And I want to I uh, make it easy as possible. I want to remove every barrier and every obstacle that somebody has to understand the gospel. And we, use, we use Bible words. We use religious things. We act in certain ways. We have certain patterns. And a non-Christian picks up on those, and they're not comfortable. I, I can remember when I was not a believer... And there were just certain ways that Christians acted sometimes that they just think they're a little bit better than me. They're acting a little bit superior. They act like they've got it all together and that I don't have it. Uh, Next, speak uh, with grace and truth in your daily interactions with non-believers. Verse 6, let your conversation be always with grace, uh, full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is where being devoted to prayer and being watchful and thankful comes into play. If I pray for opportunities to share the gospel, then I should be on the lookout. Right after I became a follower of Christ, I had some evangelism training. This is right before I started handing out spiritual, four spiritual laws to everybody I came in contact with. But I was instructed to pray for what we call the divine appointment. Just go ahead and pray and ask God to bring somebody into your life in the next 24 hours that would be an opportunity to speak for God. You know, I'd never thought of that before. I thought that made a lot of sense. And so um, I remember praying right at the evangelistic training that God would bring people into my life today. And I was working a night shift at Firestone Tire and Rubber, 11 to 7. And uh, this was the only night I had at home. And at 1 a.m., get a phone call from a friend who says, Jerry, can you come over to my house? I've got four people sitting here who want to talk about the gospel, and I just can't share it. Would you come over and share it? And so that was the first answer, the first divine appointment that I had in answer to prayer. And uh, God can bring people across your path. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Um, making the most of every opportunity. This is what happened with Carrie and Bob. Carrie was given an opportunity. Bob crossed his path. Carrie didn't say... and he, his, his conversation was seasoned with grace and salt. Carrie didn't say, Hey, Bob, you need to get saved. You're going to hell. Now, that would be truthful, wouldn't it? But he was very gracious. He was skillful. He began a relationship, and he helped Bob and he listened to Bob. 
and Bob learned to listen to Carrie. Um, let your conversation with people outside of the Christian faith be full of grace. Things, what would it be grace like? To be kind would be gracious. To be gentle would be gracious. To be patient would be gracious. To be humble, humble is, humility is very powerful, would be gracious. Um, it's about treating people with courtesy. It's about treating people uh, with dignity. This is one of the biggest things that impacted me as a non-Christian, that the Christians who had the most influence on me treated me with great dignity, like I was important, like I was valuable, like what I thought was significant. That really grabbed my attention. Um, It's about being reminded that every person is created in the image of God and that they have value in God's eyes and that Jesus died for every one of them. Not only you who have it all together, but for the person who doesn't have it all together. Grace is about being non-judgmental, speaking truthfully and wisely, seasoned with salt, with appropriate truth at the appropriate time. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. It's like putting him first. It's making him your number one priority. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Be prepared for a divine appointment. Be prepared when God brings somebody across your path, an opportunity to answer everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, the hope of eternal life, the hope about heaven. But do this, there it is, with gentleness and respect. People like to be respected. Sometimes Christians don't think non-Christians deserve to be respected. Not true. So, um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Live your life for the sake of the gospel. And here's what Paul says to the Philippians. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Does this uh, support Jesus' reputation? Does your lifestyle support who Jesus is and what he's done? Or is it inconsistent? Then whether I come and see you or only or hear about you in my absence, I will know. And here's what I love. You stand firm in one spirit. This is the church. Stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. The body of Christ, one, moving forward, striving together to advance the kingdom of God, just one life at a time. Advancing the gospel is what our mission is all about. Matthew 28 19 and 20, the words that Jesus gave to the church. The way we say it is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. We are to stand firm. The idea is the body is that we're on mission together and we're moving together. We're not just doing our own thing and showing up on Sunday morning. That we have a higher purpose and it's to help people connect with God and to develop them, discipleship, into fully devoted followers of Christ. And so that means if we're going to strive together in one spirit, we need to be on the same page together. Um, 
on September 28th, we're going to have an opportunity as a church to strive together for the sake of the gospel, to strive together as one. Um, we uh, are going to be involved in an evangelistic event called Harvest America with Greg Laurie. It will be simulcasted right here, Saturday night, September 28th, at the Eau Claire Children's Theater. That will be our venue. That will be the place for you to come and invite your friends. There's going to be three other churches in our area also participating. Bethesda Lutheran, Fellowship Church, and Calvary Baptist are also going to be simulcasting uh, Harvest America. So we are asking you to join with us as a church to make this event a priority. That's why we're telling you now. We want you to put September 28th on your calendars. That's going to be a Saturday night. We'll have church Sunday morning, September 29th. Now here's a little video clip to tell you a little bit about uh, Harvest America. So let's see that. The message, God's message of love and redemption carried on the dusty feet of prophets delivered in person by Jesus. Pen and parchment was the tool of the day as Paul the Apostle wrote letters to the church preaching change. That message spread slowly over time. In America, the sounds of hoofbeats prefaced the dire warning of sin through the preaching of a band of men known as circuit riders, impacting the nation in revival known as the Great Awakening. Revivalist tactics in open-air meetings used wooden platforms to elevate men like Charles Finney as they proclaimed the message. By the mid-late 19th century, D.L. Moody drew hundreds of thousands in major metropolitan communities, the great orator speaking of the love of God. Early 20th century, pro baseball player turned pulpit evangelist Billy Sunday used the invention of the microphone to captivate audiences with energy and passion. In the aftermath of World War II, a young, lanky Southerner, Billy Graham, was the first to successfully utilize the new technologies of radio and television, using tools never before imagined and setting the stage for a new generation of evangelists. One of them would emerge from the Jesus movement of the early 70s, Greg Laurie. Answering the call, Greg, like Paul and those after him, used any means possible to carry the message of the gospel to a modern world. You know, technology is so rapidly changing. By the time the latest computer or smartphone leaves the shelf, it's already outdated. However, this opens up an entire new horizon for proclaiming the powerful message of the gospel. Listen, today... The world that seemed impossible to reach is now at our very doorstep. With advances in live streaming technology, anyone at any place in the world can join a Harvest Crusade through various forms of this medium, including internet, cable, satellite. We can affordably stage a live nationwide event where one voice can address one massive audience at one moment in time. In 2012, for the first time in history, more than 2,000 venues hosted and simultaneously shared one stage, one event, for the entire nation to hear one message, the same amazing message of God's forgiveness. 
Through live streaming video, hundreds of thousands watched not only at these hosted venues, but potentially millions more watched on computers, iPads, and smartphones. The modern world tuned in worldwide. Harvest America Live had changed the face of evangelism once again. Harvest America puts the life-changing message of the gospel into your hands for you to share with your world. Instead of the evangelist going from community to community, those communities are linked together now through inexpensive live streaming or satellite-based technology. Our prayer and desire is that evangelism will once again change the face of our nation. And our hope is that Harvest America will change the face of evangelism. History of the past is being realized with the historical opportunities of proclaiming the gospel message today. So join us for this historic opportunity. Become a partner with Greg Laurie and Harvest America in reaching our world with this life-changing gospel message. Visit HarvestAmerica.com to get involved. So we're going to do Saturday night, September 28th. And what we want you to do is start thinking about who, who should you invite and put them on a prayer list and pray for them. Who would you invite to that occasion? You know, there's a lot of ways to do evangelism. Uh, some people are going to come to faith sitting with you one-to-one. Some people can come to faith in a small group. God has worked since the beginning of the church. Some people come to faith in very large groups. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. It happened on the first day, 3,000 got saved. That's like large group. And um, this is just one way. And this is a way for us to get involved and to strive together uh, for the hope of the gospel. So here's what we're going to do. We want, we want to focus on this in September. And we're not going to start growth groups until October. And we're going to provide opportunities for you to be on a prayer team for this whole event. We're going to provide opportunities for you to have training in evangelism. So would you start praying with us about this now and think about who you're going to invite? Let's stand for prayer. Father, we are reminded today, and I just recognize that my job is to remind us of things that we often already know, to devote ourselves to prayer, that that's really a high value. It's really an important part of our spiritual lives. It's about our relationship with you. It's a way we express our dependency upon you. It's a way we share our hearts with you. It's a way we express love to you. And what's on your heart is the advancement of the gospel of Christ. And uh, God, we we come before you now and, and we pray that the gospel will be communicated through our church family, that people in our church family will have the clarity to communicate the truths of Scripture as they have opportunity. I pray, God, that you would give me clarity for opportunities to share the gospel. And Lord, may our lives represent you well, that we might be ambassadors, that our lives would be consistent with who Jesus is, that our, our lives might show grace to others, that we might have wisdom as we communicate the gospel, that we might strive together as one for the sake of Jesus. Amen.